Can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. Uh, please join me as we read out of Luke 14, and we're actually going to go to verse 34 today. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also rose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I sign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Let's pray. Father, we um, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for um, this passage in particular. And even though we've heard it many times, Lord, we ask that you would um, speak to us in a new way and remind us of who you are and what you want us to learn from you. So we pray for Grant as he um, delivers his message, and we just ask that we would take in all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Have a seat. Thank you, Becky. Well, whew, am I still echoey? It's good. It has, gives more authority, my voice. My voice is at the same time thin and raspy. I'm not sure how I pull that off. Most of you have uh, communion elements in your hands. Um, anybody not have communion elements in your hands that would like them? We're, yeah? Here we go. I'm happy to go this way. Um, yeah, I think there's a hand or two over there too, David. Um, you know, I... I love, sometimes this just happens over the course of a week. I, I write questions for Wednesday early, hopefully, usually on Mondays, and kind of have a sense of which direction I, I'd like to take. 
in the, you know, when you're preaching a passage, quite frankly, this large and, and this dense, I mean, this is a whole semester in Christology right here. It's just an amazing passage. And we're covering a lot of ground. And, and there were things that I, I wanted to highlight. And, and um, as the week went on, I just, I just, I just want to look at how great Jesus is. I just want to spend some time beholding him. There's some technical things in here that I hope you talk about at the buffet after church or let's work all out on Wednesday night. But could we just spend the next several minutes just thinking about the greatness of our Savior? There are so many problems in the world and there's so many problems in my heart and maybe in yours too. And there's so many things I'm trying to synthesize and get over and all of that. And all of them find their answer in the person of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you came in burdened today, but I, it has been my prayer all week that this would be a day when you can lay your burdens down. When you can, and you know what? I know it's corny. But if you have communion elements with you, take them out of the rack. Hold them in your hand. Jesus passed this stuff out to his disciples and said, this is my body, this is my blood. They're supposed to be holding it when he says that. Let's think, not just for a few minutes, like we will next week. Look, next week's the first Sunday of the month. And as good Baptists, if you don't take communion on the first Sunday of the month, I don't know what's happening to you. So we'll take communion in our normal, traditional way next week. But could you just spend time holding the elements and thinking about the greatness of Jesus with me for several minutes today? First, can we look at this idea that the love and power of Jesus is personal? The apostles had been chosen and told to do their job description way back in Luke 6. The way Mark describes that conversation, I've always loved that he, he, Jesus prayed all night and he got all of his disciples, so who knows how many, a bunch of people who have been following him, and he chose out 12 apostles who, would be, who were chosen to be with him and then to go out and cast out demons and preach. They had known since they became his apostles that what it meant to be an apostle of Christ was to be with him and then to be sent out. The word apostle just means somebody sent. And here they are at the end of Jesus' earthly life as he is about to go to the cross. And where does Jesus want them? With him. If I knew I was going to the cross the next day, I would have needed some time alone. Maybe my best friend, maybe me and Tiff, that's it. Jesus has his apostles still fulfilling their job description, primarily to be with Jesus. Can I tell you that I don't know what you struggle with in faith and in philosophy, and I don't know what it is that, that you're trying to figure out, and I don't know what sin has its teeth in you, and I don't know what sin of other people has wrecked your day or your life or has made things very difficult for you, but they all only find resolution as we are with Jesus. The power and love of Jesus is not from afar off, but rather it is right here. You're holding the symbol of it in your hands right now. It is here. He is with us. Jesus said, I have eagerly 
desired to eat this Passover with you. We talked about all the imagery of Passover that we're supposed to carry into this passage as good Bible readers. All the Old Testament stuff, all the Egypt stuff, and, and we might get there a little bit again before we're done today. But, the, but, but Jesus doesn't want to just celebrate the Passover. He wants to celebrate it with his apostles. The first role of a disciple of Jesus is to be with Jesus. We come back to the communion table over and over and over. You know, I, I wrestle with like, we, maybe we should take communion every week, you know, or maybe we should take it every time we get together at all. And in some sense, every time we have a dinner together or, you know, like I said, we're Baptists, we have potlucks, we know what we're doing. Uh, the potato salad around here is excellent. Um, um, but every time we gather to eat, it, it's, it's a symbolic meal. It's a chance for us to say, God, thank you for all you've done for us, and we're eating this in your name. But there's something special about the communion table, and, and I think the only reason we don't do it every week around here is, first of all, because it's hard to get people to set it up every week. And, and, and also, secondly, I never want it to be rote. We have to have, do it enough that, that we all have access to it and not so much that it's just, ah, it's just what we do at church. But as, as you hold these elements in your hand, the most profound thing, if we don't say anything else, is just that it is a symbol that Jesus is with you. And that if you want to be a believer, it's not about believing in a certain set of ideas or teachings. It's about being with Jesus. Went to a memorial service yesterday, and Michael Hare, one of... Um, one of our shepherds um, gave the homily, and it was wonderful, and I don't remember if it was Michael or somebody else that spoke yesterday who said it, but, but, but talked about at this same meal that we're studying now, it, John records that Jesus said, look, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would tell you, and I'm going now to prepare a place so that you can be with me. The future plan for believers is to be with Jesus. What do we read is the culminating event of all mankind in the book of Revelation, but a meal, a marriage feast of the Lamb where believers are with Jesus sitting around a table. And I wish we had a table that was big enough for all of us, but if you could just imagine that that's where we are and what we're doing right now. He's not an aloof, distant king, which he would have every right to be. If God wanted to solve all of our problems or just end us from far away, it certainly would have been in his right to do. We're the clay. He's the potter. He can do what he wants with us. And yet his desire was that he would take the likeness of man to be with us. We might imagine a king who's benevolent but good. Uh, or I'm sorry, benevolent and good, but not available. In fact, I think mostly our conception of good kings would be that way. That even in a kingdom with a good king, he wouldn't have access to that guy. And yet Jesus throws open access to you and to me. Jesus not only is personal in his power and in, 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 in his love, but Jesus knew what our salvation would cost, and he did it anyway. You know, we're, 
we're going to have a Good Friday service here in several weeks, and the lights will be low, and we'll sing the old rugged cross, and it'll be a traditional service, and I hope you enjoy that, and I hope you come to it. But man, there's got to be a little Good Friday in us today as we read this passage, as we say, as we look at Jesus, who says, I have greatly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Jesus' suffering, Jesus' price on the cross, the, 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 the torture, the mocking, which is the part that breaks my heart the most. I don't know why that just always strikes me as the most offensive thing. Soldiers dancing around him, mocking him. Oh, if you're the king, here's your crown. Put a reed in his hand. Bow down to him and mock him. That just drives me nuts. All of that was not like something that Jesus didn't know was going to happen. Rather, he looks at his disciples and says, man, I've wanted to eat this meal with you before I suffer. It was by his stripes that we are healed. Isn't that a beautiful passage from Isaiah? Man, if we were to rather say it, it was by the ripping of his flesh and the pouring out of the wounds that we are healed. Man, if you ever doubt that you are loved, would you hold in your hand communion elements and know that it is by his suffering that you are healed? Sin and death is not a problem for you because of the suffering, the real suffering. Jesus was a man and it hurt. And there was shame. Shame. We don't live in an honor-shame culture. But do you remember... Um, Hebrews uh, 12, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, not only embarrassment, that's not the real root of shame, but it's a lowliness. It's a, you probably are getting what's coming to you. Scorned that shame. Why? For the joy set before him, because this is how much God loves you. You hold in your hands the symbol of the most unbelievable love. Jesus knew what our salvation would cost. We could reflect for a moment on the cups in the story. Luke, did you catch it? Luke tells about two cups. Matthew only has one cup in this story. John has one cup in this story. There are two cups that are, and there were probably four as part of a traditional uh, Passover Seder meal. And Luke tells us about two. It says in verses 17 and 18, it says that Jesus took the cup of, uh, which is probably the cup of deliverance. Imagine him holding the cup of deliverance. Remember when uh, you were delivered out of Egypt as a people. Jesus is about to suffer, but it will be a suffering that brings deliverance. It will be a suffering that frees us from the kingdom of sin and death. And then there's the third cup, the cup that we traditionally celebrate uh, when we take the Lord's Supper. This is the third cup, the cup of redemption in the Seder meal. They're modeled after the I wills in the the, uh, um, uh, Exodus story. The second I will is God saying I will deliver and the third is God saying I will redeem. Redemption draws people's mind to Egypt. That was the redemption story, when God redeemed us out of Egypt. And then it, it, then it directs their attention to Sinai, front to, the, 
to the, the, the law, the, the law that God passed down through Moses and that whole Exodus story. Redemption from Egypt led to the giving of the law, the covenant, the way which people are going to interact with God, be in right relationship with God. Now God is talking about a brand new covenant that will be in his own blood. Deliverance, redemption, covenant. We'll talk about the mechanics of that in a minute, but First, let's just remember that Jesus is a literal man talking about his literal blood that is currently inside him, that is coming out of him. This group, let's put it in its context too, this group has just had the day of preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. On Wednesday night, we talked about just how, to our eyes, how gross this day was with so many lambs being slaughtered for this meal. It'd be like if we all dressed our turkeys for Thanksgiving at uh, Laguna Grande Park. You know what I mean? We're all going to take our Thanksgiving turkey. We're all going to kill the turkeys, let all the blood out. We're going to defeather the whole thing. We're going to do it all there. And just imagine what a gross mess that would be. We in our culture are very glad that somebody very far away does this, shows up to us frozen. We take it from there. But this has been a very bloody day with the blood of lambs just literally rolling through the streets. And Jesus is taking this image of the cup and going, that's me. It's my blood. I'm the one suffering like that. Not the perpetrator of violence, but the victim. Our redemption cost Jesus his blood, and he knew it, and he still did it. There's one more cup to consider in the story, and we'll talk thoroughly about this next week, but verse 45 records Jesus praying in the garden that if it was at all possible, the Father would remove this cup from him. And I don't think that's an accident, that it's in the same section as Luke writes. The cup in the Old Testament was always a cup of wrath. If God was going to pour out his cup on a nation, it didn't mean abundance. It meant judgment was coming. The blood of Jesus not only is your deliverance. The blood of Jesus is not only your redemption. The blood of Jesus is the satiation of the wrath of God. Do you know what you hold in your hands? Would you sing, I surrender all? Deliverance, redemption, satiation of wrath. The blood of Jesus paid for all of that, all of that for each of us. Third, Jesus' sacrifice brings unity. As Jesus pours the wine and says, divide this among yourselves, we are to understand some very important things. First, we're supposed to understand the necessity for each of us to participate in the death of Jesus. As we hold the cup, as we hold the bread in communion, we are admitting something very profound. You might walk out of those doors and be a big shot. You might walk out of those doors and be lowly. You might be broke, you might be rich, you might have lots of people working for you, you might be the one who everybody's your boss. You might live a life of luxury or you might live a life of difficulty, but you come to this table, you need Jesus. There is a unity in all of our needs. 
If there's pride in your heart where you think maybe you don't need this, man, would you confess that now? There is unity as we can look at each other and go, do you need Jesus? Man, I need Jesus. Do you need forgiveness? Man, I need forgiveness. There might be some settings where we go, I'm uh, better at this and more important than you. And other settings where you go, you're better at this and more important than me. But we all come here in need. I am in need of this sacrifice. My guilt is the reason we're here and all of us gather to this table with that same attitude. The lowly and the mighty each stand condemned by our own sin and both the lowly and the mighty are welcome to receive the full measure of redemption and deliverance here. I don't know where else you find equality in this world, like actual equality, but at this table, we are all equal in our need and we are all equal in our welcomeness to receive salvation from the blood of Jesus. There's a grand humility for each partaker of this meal. If you can have an ounce of self-righteousness in your heart as you hold the communion elements, I'm not sure what you're thinking about right now. We hold these elements and go, gosh, I need this so bad. What is their, right is their righteousness in me? It's all filthy rags. I know my heart. Look at me in a button-up shirt and tucked in and doing the whole thing and trying to convince the world. I know what's going on in my heart. I am in need of the sacrifice of Jesus. There's humility here. But also, as we stand guilty and also stand forgiven, we stand together. Not only is there profound humility, there's a profound unity in taking this meal together. Have you failed? Have you let Jesus down? Have you been hurt by your own folly, your own mistakes, your own decisions? Have you been hurt by the folly, mistakes, sin of other people? Man, find your place at the table of Christ. As you look around the table, don't see a bunch of sinners. Rather, see other pilgrims, disciples who have also been saved by this blood. There's humility, but there's also unity. It's a very popular thing to go, hey, we're all in this together. As we sit holding the communion elements, guys, we are all in this together. There's a family bond. There is a uh, profound togetherness that exists as we take communion together as Jesus served this first Lord's Supper. As we wander away from unity, as we wander away from forgiving our brothers and sisters, as we wander away from the sacrifice of Jesus, as we wander into pride, and we are, we are wandering away from the table of Jesus. How could we hold the cup of redemption, the blood of Jesus and his body, and then judge each other, and then wound each other, and then have malice in our hearts towards each other? Not only does Jesus' sacrifice bring unity, but this, this meal that Jesus is implementing here has an eternal aspect to it that we need to that we need to understand 
This meal is rooted in the past. They are really celebrating an ancient holiday. It's rooted in the Exodus story, and every Jew knew the Exodus story. They're celebrating what God had done for their people before. But it is also rooted in the present. As Jesus said, I desire to share this meal. Not like, hey guys, remember the Passover, but hey, could we please? You know, we're already to the point where we have a child that lives out of the state. Just saying that makes me furious. And there have just been a couple of times this year that we've all been together and you just have this moment where there's six of us around the table and when it happens at our house, everybody knows their chair. Just like 10 years ago, everybody's sitting where they always sat. And there is something so important about the, this present thing, not just what happened before, but what's happening right now. And, it, and, and we should feel that as we're holding these elements. This matters right now, today. We're together in humility, in forgiveness, in deliverance. Today, we're together in this. But also, there is this future in view that can't be overlooked. As Jesus says, I'm not going to eat this again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Isn't he talking about dying? He's also talking about eating this again someday. When he says, do this in remembrance of me, he's thinking about the future. He's got us in mind there too. So how is it that he's talking about his own death and yet making plans for the future? I know you know this, but if it's been a while since you marveled at him, do so now, please. Not only is Jesus thinking about the future, he is instituting a brand new eternal kingdom. Right now, right here, that we are celebrating as we hold these elements. This passage is largely eschatological. It has to do with the eternal end times, if you want, kingdom of Jesus. Jesus is not only pouring out his blood for redemption and, and satiation of wrath and deliverance from sin, but he in this room at the cross is instituting a brand new way to live. We talk about this a lot, but we get very frustrated that the world out there doesn't look like the life that Jesus wants us to live. But let me tell you, from the very, very, very bottom of my heart, I am more and more convinced that that's not the problem, but rather the problem is that folks who call themselves Christians don't live the life that Jesus called us to live. He is instituting a brand new way to do life, a new covenant. You know what the word covenant means, right? It's another word for testament. It's really another word for government, a new way to do life, a new system. This would have a permanent solution to the problem of sin and death. Hebrews would say, oh, there will be no need to crucify or to, to slaughter lambs and goats and birds any longer, but rather Jesus sacrifices once and for all. That is a brand, I want you to imagine how strange that would have been for the people in the first century who had spent their whole childhood growing up sacrificing lambs and birds and goats. In this new kingdom, there are going to be freedoms that weren't there before. An end to dietary restrictions. Bacon for everybody. Are you kidding? If you, <clears throat> if you want a sense of how strange that would have been, ask a Muslim friend of yours how they would feel about it. They would be offended and should be. 
Just gross. How could I possibly? As Peter sees the sheet come down and God says, go take and eat. How strange would this have been? A brand new way to live. An end to Sabbath laws. Paul at one point is going to say, look, to some people this day is holy and to another this day is holy. Don't stress out about it. Don't stress out about it. We've spent our whole lives caring about this stuff. But mostly there was going to be an end to a mediator between God and man. No longer are we going to the priest, but we are the priests. The curtain is torn. And we, we're back here, can be with God. This is the new covenant. How strange it must have felt for this new covenant to be implemented for the first followers of Jesus. In fact, much of the New Testament is written to try to figure out whether or not one has to first live by the old covenant in order to live by the new covenant. But Jesus also offers us not just a a brand new way to do religion, but a brand new way to live where mercy and service are greater than might makes right. And if you go out those doors and go into the world, it's going to be the smart one, the handsome one, the rich one, the strong one. That's, who's got, that, that's just it's the way of the world. It should never be the way of the church. Where grace and forgiveness replace scorekeeping and bitterness. Where we love instead of care about ourselves. You and I were born with a drive to make much of ourselves, to, to have pride. Pride is all of our problem. We're in search for the good life, and as we hold these communion elements in our hand, it is a profound declaration that we have found the good life, not in the elevation of Grant, but in the service and sacrifice of Jesus. Two more, and I won't take long. Jesus' sacrifice inspires our service. Jesus has announced the arrival of a new covenant, which of course means the end of the priesthood, the end of their national leadership even. It's going to be a whole new thing, and they're going to need new leaders. And we'll talk about this more on Wednesday, but as the disciples all of a sudden start having an argument break out about who should be the greatest, that seems very strange to us. Like, I think all of us go, what is wrong with these people that Jesus says, this is my body given for the forgiveness of sins, and then they start arguing about which one of them is the best one. That feels strange. But they understood something that we don't uh, immediately understand that Jesus was talking about instituting a brand new government, a brand new way to live right then. And so immediately they're thinking, who's going to be in charge? Jesus has been training us. Jesus is the king. We're going to need like a royal vizier. We're going to need a cupbearer, I guess. I don't know. Any, I'm making this up right now. I have no idea what I'm talking about. We're going to need a mechanic. I don't know what we're going to need chariot chief i don't know we're gonna need leadership if the old priesthood is over if jesus you are tearing down the old stuff and instituting a new covenant 
Well, then which one of us is it going to be? Is it going to be the one who's the most faithful teacher? Is it going to be the one who's the best organizer? Is it going to be the one of us that's the best visionary? Maybe even it's going to be the one who has the personality most like Jesus. And, and, and they've had these kind of conversations before. And Jesus always has answered the same way. He said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be the servant of all. But verse 26 uses a little different language. So it's, it feels less familiar to us. Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest among you, become as the youngest. The one who's not going to inherit anything. You want, you want to inherit the kingdom of God? You're going to have to act like the guy who doesn't inherit anything. The, the last. This is going to find, John's going to tell the story about how very soon after this, Jesus is going to wash all of the rest of the disciples' feet. That's the role of the youngest slave. That's the role of the youngest servant. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, the one with the least seniority, the one who isn't the boss of anybody, the one who doesn't inherit anything the one who knows that their role is to serve. This is a little confusing at first because in the kingdom of man that, that we're in, these are separate people. The one that rules, so Jesus says, if you want to be the one that rules, if you want to be the, the, the greatest, you're going to have to be the, the lowest. And in our imagination, the way we do life, those are different people. There are people who rule, and we know what that looks like. Fancier clothes, fancier cars, more power, authority, authoritative presence, tell people what to do, whatever it is. We know what like, ruling looks like. And then we know what servants look like. We know what the lowliest look like in our culture. We, we have a picture of both of those kind of people. And, and Jesus is saying somehow we have to synthesize these. That if you want to be this, you have to be this. Do we have a picture that, that would give us some understanding of what Jesus is talking about? Well, indeed, we do in the person of Jesus. Verse 27, Jesus is going to say, let me read it to you. Verse 27, Jesus is going to say, For who is the greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? I imagine at this point they might think it was a trick question. No, the one who reclines is the, the greatest. Is, not, is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. So Jesus is our example. Jesus is obviously the head of this little group. None of the disciples want to surplant Jesus and his authority. They all are vying for the second in command. They see Jesus as their leader. He's the king and they're there to profess it. And yet as they look at their king, he wants them to know, but I'm the one washing your feet. I'm the one going to the cross. It is my suffering that I'm teaching you about. So this is not a passage that tells us it's bad to achieve or bad to be in positions of authority or bad to be successful. Rather, this, tells, this is a passage that tells us no matter where you are in the kingdom of man, you have a place at this table in humility and togetherness. That it is your heart, whether you are the lowliest in our world or the chief in our world, it is the heart of a servant you must have in light of the elements you're holding right now.
Lastly, Jesus is full of mercy. Jesus is going to say something just so profound to these guys. He's going to say, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, very much telling them you are going to be what the, what the priests and the Sanhedrin, all that stuff has always been, that's going to be you. You are those who've stayed with me in my trials. And I wonder if that's what they feel like. I wonder if that's what they're going to feel like. Do you remember what the next 24 hours is going to look like for these guys? They're going to scatter. They're going to end up behind a locked door, terrified for their life. I don't know if at that point they're going to go, we are the ones who have withstood trials. But Jesus sees not their failures, but their faithfulness. Jesus sees not your failures, but your faithfulness. Jesus sees not their failures, but their faithfulness. He had called them to leave businesses and families and to follow him, and they had. And in this time, they're about to abandon him, and they're going to be arguing over, you know, they're arguing who's the greatest. Jesus is going to take time to affirm their faithfulness. Guys, you're about to fail so bad, but can, can, you, let, can you hear me when I say, you have been faithful. You have stood by me in trials. There was a, a theologian I thought a lot about. His name is Michael Heiser that died just this week, I think, maybe late last week, I think early this week. And, and uh, it's kind of a big deal to me. I, I like that guy. And, um, and he described what it meant to be saved with this phrase. And I just always really admired this. He said that it's those who have believing loyalty. So there's going to be some action involved with that. If you have believing loyalty towards God, then it's going to affect the way you live. But it's not about being the perfect one. Rather, it's about your life being loyal in belief and action to Jesus. We're going to talk about Peter next week, but I do want to look at verse 32 with you as Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Now that's really familiar to you. Is the, is the line just before that familiar to you? Look at verse 32. But I have prayed um, for you in your faith that you may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And when you have turned again, Jesus not only sees Peter's failure, but he sees, Jesus, he sees Peter's return. Judas gives up in the middle. I did like an hour-long video. It's on YouTube somewhere on whether or not Judas is saved, but let me skip to the end for you. I don't know. But, um, but, but I'll tell you this. The blood of Jesus was enough for him. And the blood of Jesus is enough for you. And Jesus looks at Peter, who is about to deny him, and doesn't say, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, or before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. You're a dirtbag. Get out of my face. Rather, he goes, hey, Peter, after you turn again, take care of your brothers. Guys, the blood of Jesus is your deliverance. 
The blood of Jesus is your redemption. The blood of Jesus and His body insists on your humility. Get over yourself. It also insists that we are family together. And Jesus is full of mercy. And this is the evidence of that. Would you turn to Him? If for the first time, then for the first time, would you turn to Him? And if you've just had a denying season, would you know that He wants you back? He is full of mercy. Would you take this with me? Let's eat. Heavenly Father, as we just sing one more song and think about praising you, Lord, may our praise not stop today, but rather may we be those who worship every day, who are reminded of your sacrifice, who are reminded of the elements we've just taken. Lord, I do pray that if there's hearts in this room that are burdened, Lord, that they would find forgiveness and deliverance and freedom in the sacrifice you made on the cross. Lord, if those that are filled with doubt and, de and despair, I pray that they would find encouragement in the empty tomb. Lord, thank you for time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up? If you can clap on time, <laughs> clap with Thomas. There you go. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, let the name of the Lord be praised. From the valley forevermore, all of heaven and earth proclaim, let the name of the Lord be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, let the name of the Lord be praised. Both now and forevermore, all heaven and earth proclaim, let the name of the Lord be praised. Where mercy can be found in you.
look for his coming. I've heard this my entire life and I'm hoping it's today. <laughs> that the Lord's coming back to get us because he's given his life for us. I was thinking this week I know you've already preached. I was thinking this week how big is heaven? It's just phenomenal to me that, that he's cared enough for all of us, saints of all time, that the place is big enough for us to enjoy it. Even so come Lord Jesus may our eyes be looking up may we praise you daily. Lighthouse have a great week. See you Wednesday.